So glad that you all are here today on this uh, Resurrection Day. You know, the Bible actually has a lot of humor in it. It's not all solemn and kind of down. It's got some pretty funny lines in it. And probably, uh, probably the funniest one, I think, has to do with the resurrection, interestingly enough. Because the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, were very concerned that Jesus' body would be stolen by His disciples. And so the, the claim of, of that He would rise again from the dead was you know, kind of scary to them. And so they went to Pilate and they asked for a guard to be set on the tomb for a, battal- a group of soldiers to go and guard the tomb. So it's been said that probably the funniest verse in all of the Bible is this one, where Pilate says, Go and make it as secure <laughs> as you can. <laughs> That's actually pretty funny, folks. Okay, never mind. Um, go and make it as secure as you can. And in the famous words of John Calvin, good luck with that. So, if you have your Scriptures, open them. If to, We're going to look at this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 3. There's an insert in your bulletin if you don't have a Bible with you today, and we're going to read this passage that we've been looking at over the past few weeks uh, from 1 Timothy 3, and we'll start reading in verse 14. Now hear God's Word. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. This is the word of the Lord. We've been looking at this passage for the past several weeks, and today we're going to look at another part of it. I have told you in years past, and uh, even as recently as Christmas, that the trajectory of God's movement in Scripture, the trajectory is always from heaven to earth. It's never from us to Him. Men were never, at least as far as I know in the Scriptures, never looking or seeking to find God. In fact, from the very beginning, men were hiding from Him and covering themselves with fig leaves and other things to try to uh, somehow blot out their own sins, their own transgressions. And so the trajectory of God's love for His people and for His creation has always been from heaven to earth. But it doesn't stop there. Once He came to earth, there was a path that he had to walk. A path that ended in glory, but it was very difficult to be sure. He was manifest in the flesh. In this early creed of the church, Paul is talking about Jesus' incarnation. He was vindicated by the Spirit. This is Paul explaining that he was justified, that Jesus had done no wrong. And so his crucifixion, his execution was a false execution. 
He was vindicated. He was seen by angels. We talked about that last week. That the angelic host of heaven, whatever you believe about angels and the supernatural, the Bible says these angels witnessed His deeds and His action and were there every moment of the way through His passion in this earth. And today we're going to look at this section where He says He was proclaimed proclaimed among the nations. What is the proclamation? Well, let me give you a little outline that may help you. The proclamation we're going to talk about. What is it? What is the proclamation? Who are the people that this proclamation is made to? And who are the people that are the beneficiaries? And finally, we'll look at the person uh, that came as a human being uh, to be the subject of this Proclamation. So let's look first at the proclamation. The word proclamation in Greek is an interesting word. It means to herald or to proclaim, to preach or announce a message. A message publicly. Publicly with conviction, with persuasion. In other words, this message, this proclamation is intrinsically inside of itself. It has power. And it carries with it power. In other words, it's not just the news of the day. It's something that touches each and every person who hears it and who understands it and who embraces it at a certain level to where we really can't keep silent. The question is, why aren't we uh, shouting it from the rooftops? Why aren't we shouting it from the rooftops? It's a message to gospelize, euangelizo, which is another word for this message, stresses the victory that God had in His Son, Jesus Christ. The victory that He had in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know, uh, you know all of you uh, as well as I would like, but I'll tell you this. Some of you probably wonder, how can you Christians believe uh, in something as absurd and outlandish uh, as the resurrection. How could you possibly believe something like that? And I have to admit, in fact, I'll be the first to admit it, that it's hard to swallow. Resurrection from the dead. Nobody has ever been raised from the dead. Exactly how far do we go? You know, you want to ask God, really, are you sure about this? The resurrection? Well, put aside that for a moment. If it's true, if it's true, then it must be shouted from the rooftops. And if it's not true, then it doesn't matter. Jesus said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And so if that's the truth, if there's no resurrection, then why even worry about anything else? Just have a great time. Enjoy your life completely. And don't worry, because when you die, you're going to go into the ground and you're going to rot. And there's going to be nothing left. Nobody's going to remember you. Within a few months, nobody will remember you. Certainly within a few years, you're gone and forgotten. But if the resurrection is true, all of a sudden, in an instant, your life and my life takes on a completely different meaning. The life of everyone around us takes on a different meaning. The, the lives of our children, our parents, our brothers, our sisters, the people in the seats next to you, everything takes on a whole different meaning. So if it's true, 
It is a message, a proclamation that is almost impossible if we were to think about it just for a few seconds. How can we possibly not proclaim the resurrection from the dead? What is this gospel message? What is it? You know, it's very interesting, folks, that when you open your Bible and you open to Matthew, the first of the four gospels, and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it mentions the gospel, very interesting, Never an explanation of what the gospel is. Why? How were we supposed to know? What are they talking about? And if you, today in the 21st century, if you ask people, what is the gospel? You'll get any number of answers. But if you go back into the first century, into those days when Jesus was going and saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven uh, is at hand or is near you at your side. It's right here, present. That was the gospel. What was the expectation of people? For, for you and I to understand it, we need to understand why they didn't need an explanation. Why they understood what it was. And they did understand it because a gospel was an announcement. It was an announcement. It was a proclamation that something had happened. It was like news, like front page news. Something has happened that has changed things so dramatically that everything that happens after this is going to be different. That's what a gospel was. And we have records in history of other gospels, not just gospels about religious things, but the gospel of uh, uh, Tiberius Caesar, the gospel of his reign. We have the gospel uh, of these various leaders that were uh, coronated to their throne and brought to power. And they would send out a gospel, a message of who they were and what they were going to do and why the world would be different because Augustus Caesar was now on the throne. That's what gospel meant. And so when the writers are talking about gospel, they're talking about a proclamation that is going to change everything from that day forward. You see, whether people believe in the resurrection or not really isn't the issue. The issue is, does God believe it? Everything else is going to follow Him. And not only does He believe it, He saw to it that Jesus would be vindicated and brought out of the grave. And that is the great gospel message, the proclamation. Jesus' first sermon, His first words were, repent and believe the gospel and follow Me. Repent, believe the gospel, and follow Me. Now, He has a lot of nerve saying, repent, believe the gospel, and follow. Why would we do that? Because He's the King. And when the king showed up, the people would say, wow, the king is here. And the king could command. And the king expected his subjects to follow. And so it's a wonder to me how we go through, and many of us go through life this way, we kind of yawn and, oh, well, I guess the king is here. And, oh, well, I guess it's all right. No big deal. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And so I hope that you leave today thinking, you know, I can't step outside the doors of this room and live my life laissez-faire, whatever happens, and just, you know, business as usual. The King has come. He has come, and not only has He come, He's been raised from the dead, and if that's true, everything has changed on the face of this earth. And what is so wonderful is, 
everything about you has changed, can change, and your life can actually take on meaning and purpose that you never dreamed possible. If you're like me, some days I wake up and I wonder, what am I doing? You know, what is my purpose in life? Why am I even here? And I talk to Mari V and she says, you know, I'm wondering the same thing. Why are you even here? If you wonder about what is your purpose in life, you will never find it in your career. You're never going to find it in family. You're never going to find it in money. Money comes and goes. You're never going to find it in politics. I mean, these people in politics, they're insane. You're never going to find it in your family, in your children, money, wealth, fame, success. You're never going to find it in those things because they are fleeting. They come and go here today, gone tomorrow. Some of you in this room have had fortunes and it's gone. And some of you have made another fortune and that one may go. One day you're in good health. The next day they say you've got this disease or that disease. When will we learn, folks? When will we learn that our meaning, our purpose in life has got to be centered and anchored in something that is eternal? Something that will never fail. Someone who will never fail. Why can He not fail? Because He was raised from the dead and has promised that eternal life to you and I. The Apostle Paul was so excited about this proclamation. He said this, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God shows His love to us in this. That while we were yet sinners on our worst day, while we were sinners, Christ died for us, loved us, gave Himself for us. You don't have to worry about, well, you know, how good am I today or tomorrow or the next day? On your worst day, He died for you. On the worst day of your life, the most impossible day of your life, He stepped into time and eternity and said, I choose you. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. From there, it's all downhill. It's all good news. It's all glory from that point forward. Never do you take it presumptuously. Never do you take it for granted. But you have security. You can be sure that no matter what happens in your life, that He will not leave you. How glorious is that? Since we've been justified by His blood, Paul said, much more. Shall we be saved from God's wrath by Him? And the Apostle John said, For God so loved the world, or God loved the world in this way, that He gave His Son for you and for me. Now that is a proclamation. The Gospel proclamation, folks, this news, this message is unlike any other religion. It's not even to be compared. Not one single God has ever been known in the history of mankind where that God said, I will die for you. In fact, the opposite is true. Every God we know of in the, in the celestial heavens above and on the earth beneath, every God that man has ever invented has always had one message for you and you and you. You die for me. You give to me. You give your life up for me. And if you don't, I will crush you and I will kill you. But in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, you see a man coming in and saying, no, no, no. I will die for you. I will be crushed for you. I will be separated from God so that you never 
will have to be separated from God. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it. And there never will be because there's no one ever like Him. Me for you. That's the proclamation of this Gospel. And who are the beneficiaries? Who are the beneficiaries? They are people. In fact, Paul uses the word ethne. The ethnic of the world. The people of the world. It's not just for Jews. It's not just for a select few. It's not just for religious people that really have all their ducks in a row and are squared away and they look really good and fine on Sunday morning. No, He came for the least, the last, and the lost. For people. People from every tribe. As, as Steve prayed in his prayer, read to us before his prayer, I looked... The Apostle John, in his vision and revelation, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number from every nation, every ethne, every ethnic group, every tribe, every people, every language standing before the throne and the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches crying with a loud voice. You think they're proclaiming? They're crying with a loud voice. They can't even stop. It says they sing day and night. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And they sang a new song. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is He to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. But now you're alive and by your blood you have ransomed. Ransomed. He paid a price. He bought us. He paid a price for us. Ransomed people. Ethne. The people. For God. From every tribe. Every language. Every people. Every every nation. A people who have been ransomed. It's, it's the picture um, of, of, of a, every one of you have seen a movie somewhere where the slaves are brought out and they're, they, they're, they're completely helpless and hopeless and they're often in chains and they're brought up on the block and there they stand helpless and proud. They have nothing to their name. They couldn't even pay one penny for their own freedom. They're completely vulnerable at the whim and wish of those out there who would buy them. And up steps a man who says, I will buy them. And he buys the slave. And as they bring the slave down to their new master, lo and behold, out comes a key. He unlocks their chains. And he says, you're free. You can go do what you want. You can go be what you want. You can do anything you want. I'm setting you free. And the slave says to him, you, you mean that? I mean... You just paid for me and now I'm free. I can go and do whatever I want. Go wherever I will go. And the Master says, yes, you're free. Go where you want. Do what you want. And the slave says, well, if that's the case, I think I'll go with you. I think I'll go with you. I've been there, folks. And I know some of you have been there. We all have our own prisons. We all, as, as we were talking about the other night, uh, we all have our own gutter that we come. You may have never been uh, outcast in a, in a world of sin and darkness. Maybe you've lived in the church all your life. Let me tell you something. The church can be a gutter. 
of self-righteousness, of religiosity. Oh, I'm better than ever. Look, I go to church how good I am. Jesus tore those people to bits that took comfort in their religion and not in Him. So wherever He found you, I don't know where He found you, but every one of us could stand up here, we could spend the rest of the day and on into the night and into the next day, each of us telling our story, not only how He found us in the first place, but how He finds us every day of our life. In our sin, in our darkness. We are people who have been ransomed, have been bought with a price. And the Apostle Paul said, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In other words, let your life be a proclamation of the resurrection. Not just hoping for the resurrection in the future, but every moment of your day can be lived in the power of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said, God was in Christ, in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. God was in Christ. And He has committed, listen folks, committed this message of reconciliation to who? To the New York Times? No. To us. He's committed the ministry of reconciliation to you and I. It's our work. It's our life's work. It's the only thing that will be remembered are the people that you share your life with and this gospel message who hopefully will embrace by faith. He has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. All this, Paul said, is from God who through Christ, listen, reconciled us to Himself. In other words, at some point, We were enemies of God. We were not friendly with Him. And it was Him who came to us and stretched out the hand of friendship and said, let us be friends. And I will will make up the conditions for our friendship. Normally, you know, it's 50-50. You've got to give a little and He gives a little and they give a little. It's half and half. But in this reconciliation, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. In other words, it was one way. He came and said, I will make friends with you and I will make the conditions me for you. And what if we reject Him? What if we reject Him? Well, news flash. News flash. We did. One famous artist, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was Rembrandt or one of the others, uh, but one of the classic paintings of the great artists uh, has Jesus being crucified on the cross and all of the people around, the soldiers and the religious leaders and the attendants driving the nails and lifting the cross and he painted himself into the picture as one of the mockers. So profound was his self-awareness that he had rejected Christ as well as the rest. I see myself there. I don't like it. I'm not pleased with it. But I know that my only hope is that Jesus stretched out that hand 
one way, the hand of reconciliation, and said, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come, learn of me. Take my yoke. It's easy. My burden is light. Come to me. Come to me. And so, this reconciliation, Paul said, is all from God, who through Christ reconciled in us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Then he goes on and says, we implore you, we beg you, be reconciled. And I'm saying that to you this morning, folks, on Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday. Be reconciled to Christ. Don't leave here today and say, you know, my life's just too bad. It's too messed up. Your life is not that bad. You want to see bad? You want to see horror? You want to see darkness? You want to see wrath poured out to the nth degree? Look at the cross. Look there. And you see love and wrath. As J.I. Packer said, love and wrath, they kiss at the cross. The only place, the intersection of eternity was there where God's justice and God's love fully satisfied in the person, the person. That's the last point. Let's talk about the person. You know, Jesus had His disciples with Him. We don't really know exactly. Some scholars say three years. I don't know. Could have been more, could have been less. We don't really know. The chronology in the Scriptures is sometimes difficult to determine. But these men followed Him and lived with Him for an extended period of time, probably at least three years. They knew Jesus. And they went into, right before the crucifixion, a few months before, they went to a mountain into a region that was far in the north, and they were alone, just Him and His disciples. And He asked them this question, Who do people say that I am. Who do they say I am? And of course, his disciples had all kinds of answers because people were speculating. Who is he? Well, he must be Jeremiah. He must be one of the prophets. He must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. He must be some great prophet. We don't know who he is. We're not really sure. But we know he's somebody. And we're really excited about that because he's really somebody. And so Jesus listened politely to all their answers. The disciples were, you know, they're wanting to tell him, here's what people think. And then he asked this question, the most important question in the Bible, without dispute probably. Who do you say I am? And of course, you know, Peter answered the question, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you've said the right thing. And upon you, Peter, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. Who do you say He is? You can go your whole life and say, I believe Jesus is the Christ. But until you place your complete trust in Him, in other words, every other thing in your life takes second place to this. You go to Him and you say, I'm all in. I will withhold nothing from you. Everything is yours. I will do what you say. I will go where you send me. And I lay the sword of my life at your feet. Command me. Whatever you say, I will do it. 
That day, folks, something revolutionary will happen. Now, the next day, you may back out and get scared and get cold feet. I do. That's all right. Then you go back and you say it again and again and again. But once you cross that line and say, I will follow you forever, you will change. Your life will change. Jesus Christ was a human being. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day, He rose again according to the Scriptures. And it changes everything, gives our life meaning and hope. Let me leave you with this. C.S. Lewis, the famous writer, in his, in his essay, The Weight of Glory, I just read it again the other day, in his essay, C.S. Lewis says this, a cleft has been opened in the pitiless walls of the world. A cleft has been opened in the pitiless walls of the world and we are invited to follow our great captain in. Will you do it? Will you trust Him? Will you let this day, this Easter Sunday, be the day you say, I will follow Him. I will follow you all the way, now and forever. I hope you will. Father, help us to do that. Help us to proclaim with every breath the great resurrection message of our Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Come awake. Come awake. Raise us from our sleep, Father, please. In these dark days in our world as terrorism and, and unsettledness in the economy and ravages of this life come around us, great fear envelops the world. Help us to find our hope and our glory in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I pray you'll do it, Father. In Christ's name, amen.